Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of That's Entertaining. This week, we're going to talk about E3. We're going to depart from the movie scene for a little bit and just talk about what we thought was cool at E3. Joining me this week will be Alex. He's currently indisposed, not able to join us at this minute, but if you hear a knock on the door, it's probably him uh, trying to get in, and we might deny him entry. We'll see how it goes. But in the meantime, I have another person joining me this week, Mr. Jared Hahn. Jared! Welcome to the show. Hello, denizens of the internet. Denizens. I don't. I don't. I don't know what that word means. Eh, I think like a citizen, someone who lives in dens. Denizens. Yeah. They. It's they, a word. Look it up. Citizens live in cities. Denizens would live in a den, right? I think you're overthinking this. <laughs> Quite possibly. I, I often overthink <laughs> things. Uh, but Jared, how? You. A little bit of background. Yeah. I um first learned about podcasting from the expertise of this man sitting to my left, Jared Hahn. He had a podcast called... Uh, it was called Outpost 309, because we live in area code 309. Mm-hmm. It was. It lasted about 13 episodes. We eventually retired it. It was a lot of work, because I now have a baby. Mm. But uh, I'm not against stepping on every once in a while and uh, joining your podcast. Yeah, so I mean, obviously baby and family obligations can kind of cut into your podcasting time, gaming time, any time that you have that was otherwise dedicated to, you know, things that you want to do, right? Hobbies or entertaining things. That's an understatement. (laughs) So I know uh, last week we talked about Jurassic World, and I know you hadn't had a chance to go see it, so no spoilers or anything this week, obviously. That was last week's discussion. But Mm -hmm. I did want to open up this discussion with kind of a follow-up to that, is that Jurassic World broke the global and the domestic box office records uh, for an opening weekend for a movie. Which is shocking to me. It, it is. I mean, like, really. I mean, really? Jurassic World? I'm sure it's a good movie, but, like, really? That's what we're <laughs> going to set a box office record with. Avengers, okay. Yeah. Avengers 2, okay. Titanic? Eh, I'll still buy it. But Jurassic World? <laughs> the fourth installment to a movie franchise that was pretty much dead for a few years? Yeah, they had two horrible installments after the first one. Mm-hmm. So... Color me surprised. Yeah, I I was surprised too. I went and saw the movie when I when I went and saw it. It was full, uh, and you know Alex and Jamie they went and saw it and they said it was also full. And Alex saw it a second time. I wanted to see it a second time, um, but he said it was full again. So obviously that adds to the the not the progress, but the the benefit of this movie being able to get those repeat viewing uh, people. I, I want to see it again. It's good. The score is tremendous. Um, it's. I've been listening to that score, like for the past two and a half weeks or whatever, how long it came out, and it's really good. But I think I blame Chris Pratt's meteoric rise to like <laughs> Hollywood. You know, like every women love him, men love him. Why would you not go see a Chris Pratt movie at this point? I. That's what I'm blaming. Yeah, that's got to be it. Well, I mean, it's not really anything to blame. You'll once you watch the movie, you'll be able to kind of understand, maybe see, because uh, this was the biggest IMAX opening. There was the most IMAX screens that were showing it, so that's one thing. Obviously, 3D adds another, you know, premium to the ticket sales. So you got these premiums that are added on, and the rise of ticket costs in the past, you know, few years. But mm-hmm. still, to break the records of Avengers, because Avengers, the first one was the previous yeah, holder, the holder. From three yeah. years ago, or was it? Was it three years ago? I have no idea. I think 2012. So it makes sense. So I, I was surprised. Yeah. But good movie. Uh, Plot contrivances and everything aside that we talked about in last week, but it's it's worth seeing, and I want to see it a second time. 
And evidently, other people were thought the same way. So, just wanted to open up with that, uh, just a little discussion about uh, last week's box office, because it's a record. That's kind of amazing, yeah. Mm. I'll be curious to see if it continues a really strong record each subsequent weekend for a while. And you look at the movies that are coming out, there's not a lot for me personally until Mission Impossible comes out. I think that's the next big movie for me. Um, and that's like four weeks from now. And then, but, you know, I was talking to people online and even Alex about this, and he was like, yeah, this is the record now, but come December 18th, yeah. when Star Wars comes <laughs> I out. I Star Wars got it, yep. I, I don't know, it's it's going to be a, a cool year at the movies if, if Jurassic World is able to get this kind of, everybody wants Star Wars, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, people can say that it's, it's more of a niche thing. Dinosaurs are more popular than lightsabers and Jedi. I'm not quite sure about that. Uh, but Everybody grew up with Star Wars yeah. to some extent. And so. this is a continuation of the mm-hmm. childhood Star Wars. This is after Return of the Jedi. This is a story we don't know where it's going to go. So I'll see it more than one time opening weekends for sure. And I think even, uh, I'm 31 years old, but my, even my parents are really familiar with Star Wars. And even they know Luke, Leia, and Han. And if right. this movie has Luke, Leia, and Han, they're that much more likely to go see the movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas for the prequels, they thought, it's for kids. Yeah. I don't, I don't need to see that. But now they look at the, like, almost everybody knows that this new movie coming out is going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. And they've spent a lot of money and a lot of time making it. Yeah. So, I, high expectations there. I think they're going to blow the box office record out of the water. And, you know, when episode one came out, Star Wars had been absent from the theater for a while, too. Mm-hmm. And it crushed the box office records at the time back in 99. Mm-hmm. So, again, with all the, the build-up to this one and the, the being out of the theater since 2005, I think, was Revenge of the Sith. It's been 10 years, which hasn't been as long as the first two. But still, now you have like 3D, IMAX showings, all these other premiums going to be added to that. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what it does. So now I'm getting really off topic, but do they take into consideration inflation of movie ticket prices when they do this sort of thing? Yes and no, because you can look at lists with those inflations. Like Gone with the Wind, right, Mm -hmm. is one of the biggest ticket sales ever. So you put the cost of like a... Back then... I don't know how much ticket sales tickets yeah, were. I, well, like a quarter, maybe. Yeah. And now they're nine bucks. Mm-hmm. At, at cheapest. Low end, yeah. yeah. So you put those in there, and you put the ticket sales of that with today's standards. Mm-hmm. Gone with the Wind is still with like the all-time box okay. office. Okay, that makes thing. sense then. Yeah. So, but when you look at today's money, all the inflations and everything, yeah, it's easy to see new movies do this and this because of the, the inflation. But mm-hmm. yeah, because they, uh, if you go to um, boxofficemojo.com. You can look at these charts and say adjust for inflation on these charts, okay. and then you can see how they are. It's pretty cool actually to look at. Hmm. So, anyway, mm-hmm. what have I been entertained by this week? Um, all I've been playing, <laughs> or watching, or anything, all my time that I've had free, uh, I've either been watching and reading up on the E3 news, which we'll be discussing, or been playing The Witcher Three because that game is massive. And it will never end for me because I just keep doing all the side quests. I haven't progressed into the story very far. It's just, it's one of those games that I don't know if you have the same problem too, is that you give me an open world, I go explore every house, open up every crate to find the stupid little vials that are empty. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my character probably has 17 million empty vials on him, just with all the ones he's found around. Mm -hmm. But I like to explore everything because... You know, when you look at a game, it's taken for granted a lot by a lot of people these days, is that a programmer programmed that box to be there, mm-hmm. programmed that house to be there. To have the gear in it that was there and everything yeah. else, yeah. 
So I want to see what they put there. I want to ex- experience why they put stuff there. And I know that you said there's stuff that I'll run into later on that sounds really, really cool to get to. And it's something that someone may never even see because it's so ancillary mm-hmm. and it's not part of the main quest, but it was still made to be put in there. So it's really... That's my problem with, My problem and love mm-hmm. with over open world games is that. So, But that's all I've been playing. Yeah. Uh, how about you? Uh, I did beat Witcher 3. It took me 66 hours and 39 minutes. You know, I'm pretty sure I've been playing at least for 66 hours, but I'm thinking 30 of that is probably Gwent. I'm a dialogue skipper. <laughs> so that's my that's my horrible confession. Unless it's a story mission, I usually just read the dialogue and then skip through the rest, so that cuts down significantly on the time. I didn't really get into Gwent as much, so for mm-hmm. me it was all about the story and side quests. I found and beat every side quest and secondary quest and primary quest I could find. It's a great game. Yeah, you know, I always keep my, like, top ten list of games, and Witcher 3 specifically definitely fits in at number four. It's, I thought Dragon Age Inquisition set a pretty high bar, and then this game just blew it out of the water. Not that Dragon Age Inquisition is bad, Mm -hmm. but the Witcher start to end is, it's a good ending, it's a good start. There's good climactic moments, you know, two or three two-thirds of the way through and one-third of the way through. I mean, it just for every act, there's sort of this this climax, and it's, it's a perfect game. I yeah. love it. Really good writing, good, great score. Really puts you in the game. And they, you know what I loved about this game still is that they gave you the score mm-hmm. with the game. For free. Yeah. Because they've seemingly figured out what people like, not mm-hmm. having charged extra for tons of little piddly bits of DLC. Uh-huh. I mean, and they could have charged. Worlds. Yeah, they could have. And it's worthy of charging for mm-hmm. this stuff, you know. But um, it's a good game. Uh, I've been playing uh, a game called Dirty Bomb, which is a free-to-play on the PC. It's like Counter-Strike meets Unreal Tournament. Um, great game. It's fun. Um, if you, I'm a PC gamer exclusively, unlike the console kitties here. <laughs> um, if you have a PC and you like that sort of fast-paced shooter, I definitely recommend it. It's a good free-to-play model, too. It doesn't feel too broken. Um, and I've also been playing Invisible Ink, which is sort of an indie title, which is a turn-based, um, sort of like cyberpunk spy thing. You break into big corporations and try to sneak around and steal secrets and that sort of thing. It's a really entertaining game. It's cheap. Cyberpunk is, is like, kind of like SteamWorld, but futuristic with... Yeah, augments and, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of... uh, the Matrix was very cyber or cyberpunk in a way. Okay, sort of so that, that kind of aesthetic. Yeah, okay. it's, it's usually got a very big dystopia thing going on with it, right? Like the big corporations rule the world sort mm-hmm. of vibe. That's kind of your cyberpunk setting. Okay. So that's what I've been playing. Okay. And I, I looked up on my phone just to see how many hours I've been playing The Witcher 3. 76. And I'm not wow. even halfway through with the story. There you go, man. It's all Gwent. I know. But I love Gwent. Gwent is pretty fun. Um... So that's cool. And like I said, Alex isn't uh, currently in the room yet, but when he gets in, uh, we'll have to have him tell us what he's been entertained by as well. But, you know, Jared, you said that The Witcher is in your top four games. Mm -hmm. And there was a recent announcement (laughs) for another game Mm -hmm. that I believe is in your top four game series as well. Uh, Where would you rank the Fallout franchise? you're cheating and this was an excellent transition but Fallout is my number two so I, I cheat when I consider games and I say you know like Mass Effect I count as one game mm-hmm. in my in my top ten so I don't list out Mass Effect 1, 2, 3 I just say Mass Effect it's almost like a series mm-hmm. Fallout is my number two I the original Fallout came in 1997 
and I was 13 years old when it came out, and I devoured that game two or three different times, uh, and have played it many times since then, along with Fallout 2, mm-hmm. Fallout 3, debating playing through Fallout 3 again, just because, you know. Now, is there a storyline that will flow between all, like, 1, 2, 3, 4, and New Vegas? Is there a concurrent storyline? Not, no, not really. So, yes and no. Background-wise, things stick. So in Fallout 1, you play the original Vault Dweller, and you come out of the vault, and I won't ruin the story for anyone, but you come out of the vault, and things happen, and they end up the way they do, right? It it culminates in a big battle, and that battle at the end is considered canon. That's Mm -hmm. what happened in the series. Vault Fallout 2 picks up with the, I think it's the son or cousin of the original Vault Dweller of some, or you can play a woman too, right? So the the offspring of that Vault Dweller of some sort. You come from the same town that that, that, you know, spoiler alert, they survived the first game. (laughs) Um, And he eventually dies of sort of old age and his own reasons, and you pick up sort of as kin of that next Vault Dweller, and you're back in sort of the, the western United States again, a little farther north this time. The original game takes place from about L.A. up towards San Francisco area, but not quite. And then the next game takes place over a slightly larger area that has both San Francisco and the areas north of it and New Reno and Redding and some of these cities that we, we know today. Yeah. Uh, Fallout 3 then takes place in Washington, D.C. Complete- that, that's the one that I played. I started Fallout 3, mm-hmm. but I didn't get very far. So... They added fun. There's a few little characters that sort of make their way back in the Fallout Three. That are sort of just a nod to the original series. Um, a ghoul in particular, whose name escapes my mind. Um, but Fallout Three, everything that happens in one and two are canon. Fallout Three takes place after two, so like the Brotherhood of Steel is a reoccurring character. And that's so to the speak. suit. Yeah. Right. That big suit. Yeah, that the you power see armor suit. Yeah. And I've heard that you could play through the games without ever even joining that Brotherhood or getting that suit. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. You can work for them and work with them, but you don't necessarily have to join them. Although okay. in three, you might. They're pretty pivotal to the plot of three, so I don't know if you technically join them or not. But most players want to because they want to get better that access suit. to power armor. Right. Yeah. And then there's also the Enclave, which is the remnants of the U.S. government. Um, and they are a reoccurring character in 2 and 3 and 4, to some extent. Uh, not, not 4, but New Vegas. Yeah. Um, New Vegas, then, like the NCR that you have in the New Vegas, the New California Republic, is founded is in its beginning stages in Fallout 2. Okay. So there's all these background elements that sort of merge together. So the fall, like if you if you look at the fluff behind Fallout Three, there's a reason why the Brotherhood of Steel are in DC. Like they came from all the way from the West Coast. Okay. Um, and then there's other games like Fallout Tactics, which takes place in the Midwest. Peoria, where we're from, among them is a city that you can play in. Fallout Tactics. Yep. Is this is this a PC game? PC game. Yep. I'm not I've sure. I've never heard of it before. I'm not sure it's considered canon. Um, if you look at the main storyline, but like people on Wikipedia consider canon, it's it's Fallout One, Two three and then soon to be four so new vegas isn't even part of that or new vegas is in there too yeah sorry and um fallout tactics i mean it was more of a tactical experience you you could control all your party members you there's like prone positions and kneeling positions it was sort of like your final fantasy uh yeah final fantasy tactics yeah sort of less story more gameplay more squad based action almost like a SWAT based Hmm. action that's kind of cool. I mean, I would be interested in checking that out because, the, and I think it might be because maybe when Fallout 3 was out, 
the open world kind of aspect. Like, mm-hmm. I love Witcher, obviously, and mm-hmm. Dragon Age, though, open world games. I think I've changed to be more understanding as to what they're accomplishing with those mm-hmm. games now. So I want to go back and maybe experience Fallout 3 years. I don't know if I can go back to 1 or 2, but 3 I think I could go back to. 1 and 2 have scaled really well. Okay. Um, the one thing you'll be spoiled about with 3 is the fact that most of your interactions, I think all of your interactions have a voice behind them, like somebody's recorded mm-hmm. those lines. And Fallout 2 and 1, it's just a, it's a text fest, right? Like mm-hmm. you're reading a lot of dialogue options. The cool part is you have a lot more options to choose from when you're having conversations because it's not limited to something that someone has scripted. It's, it's you know, the developers could just type it in. Yeah. Um, but if you haven't played 1 and 2, I'd recommend it. Even Fallout Tactics is a really enjoyable experience. Uh, just expect you're going to get bogged down in the in the detail mm. of the simulation. But it's really fun, especially if you're from the Midwest like us. Um, there's a nearby town called Macomb. You get to go to Macomb. That's in it. Peoria's <laughs> in it, although it's called Prioria. But it's in the same location. And you kind of travel from Chicago through the Midwest all the way to Denver. Okay. And that's where it ends. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of funny because when I was flying last time, the stewardess wasn't from Peoria area, and she asked how to pronounce it. She kept calling it Prioria. Prioria, yeah. <laughs> Um, so when you look at the storyline with, you know, Fallout 1, 2, 3, 4, if that is all canon, they're all, from what I know, they're emerging from a vault at the beginning of the game. Yep. Except so, New Vegas. Okay. So in these games, is it, when you are emerging from the vault, you don't have to come out at the same time? These vaults are at different times of emergence? Yes. The... I mean, so Fallout 1 takes place before Fallout 2. I lied, Fallout 2 doesn't take place in a vault either. Okay. Um, but you are a vault dweller in Fallout 1, you are a vault dweller in Fallout 3. And then New Vegas and Fallout 2 are sort of the exceptions. And it looks like in Fallout 4, you're going to be a vault dweller as well. Yep. So, um, and let's go ahead and get into that then. Okay. So, at E3, they Bethesda had a conference to start out E3. Mm-hmm. They announced Doom. I could honestly care less about. Yeah, Doom. People um, are complaining it's too violent. It's like, are you kidding me? It's Doom. Yeah, it's it's Doom. Yeah. What do you expect? That and Quake are like the games that... Yeah, yeah. mindless violence. That's all it was built on. Mm-hmm. And then the biggest thing to come out of the Bethesda conference was... And we knew it was coming, right? Yeah, really the biggest thing at E3, I think. You think so? Just Fallout 4. Well, you have a slighted view towards that, though. Yeah, but, I mean, if you look at the coverage on the sites out there, Polygon, Joystick, Kotaku, I mean, it's all Fallout 4. And it is a big story. Yeah. I mean, everybody has been looking forward to it. How? When did Fallout New Vegas come out, the last iteration? Maybe a year after Fallout 3, I think. So was that, like, 2008? It was close to four or five years ago, I think. Okay. So been four or five years absence, right? Mm-hmm. So usually you have a lot of fanfare, a lot of build-up. People are ready for the new game. They, they're they excited to see what this company is going to do, what new stuff they're going to bring to the franchise. What excites you the most from what you've seen about Fallout 4? <laughs> Honestly, that it's another Fallout game. <laughs> because um, it's coming out. That's and, what I'm supposed to say. And Bethesda's making it. Um, if I had to pick a few things in Fallout 4 that excite me the most, it's the crafting. Crafting. Like okay. the ability to take a weapon and craft it like eight ways from Sunday, right? Like it's a laser pistol. All, all that now it's a laser rifle. Now it's a laser rifle with a stock. Now it's a laser shotgun and with just a few changes, you know? Like, yeah. That's huge. They um they showed that in the conference, right? Yeah. Where they have like you start with this basic thing and you get out of scope and add this and add this and it yeah. becomes this entirely different thing. Mm-hmm. And that's something Skyrim's never done, it's nothing they did with Fallout before. 
it's it's huge. And the Fallout is all about the gear. It's all about finding the gear, acquiring the gear, you know. And you couldn't, there was no crafting mechanic, so to speak, in mm-hmm. Fallout 1 and 2. Not like we know it today in right. games. So the fact that you can craft these weapons, and then, heck, you can craft a house. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I Was that... To me, I didn't ever think about that as being a part of a Fallout game. I mean, granted, I don't have the experience you do, but when they put that in there, I was like, man, that's just kind of a cool piece because you have you have this thing and these people come visit you and it's all about making that... You could make a really cool city or a place that everybody would want to come mm-hmm. to do business with you or transact with you, and then you could have like the sentry guns and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean... There's a cool a lot of cool implications. Look at the games like out there like Daisy and mm-hmm. Rust, and it's all these post-apocalyptic survival type games the problem is they're a lot like work you mm-hmm. gotta go collect the wood you gotta I think they're gonna do the best of both worlds here you're gonna get kind of that survival aspect you're gonna get that sort of building that everybody likes one of the most popular pieces of DLC for Skyrim was Hearthstone where you can add on and build to your house and it was a lot less interactive than what we're seeing with Fallout 4 mm-hmm. that's really cool like people are really gonna love that because it's, it's part of the game and you're probably not gonna have to work hours upon hours collecting wood to build timber to add to a wall you know the sort of Minecraft-esque construction qualities right. that people like and expect today. So I think it's going to be a really neat intersection of convenience and gameplay. And they've said that it has absolutely no bearing on the story whatsoever. Yeah. And so you can ignore it if you don't want to do that. You can completely ignore it. Just play the story. A lot of people just like to streamline games mm-hmm. and just get the story content out of the way. But for other people who like the MMO type experience where all the in-game content... This seems like a huge piece of in-game content because you can continue to build it mm-hmm. and do whatever you want to do and just keep progressing your 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 game. Mm-hmm. So the other big thing that they're doing, I haven't confirmed it yet, but it's pretty suspected. So the, the big thing in all of Fallout games is always getting the power armor. Mm-hmm. You always met the Brotherhood of Steeler. You always stomped on the Conclave, and you took their power armor. You like something, you kill them, and you take it. But... They have power armor in this game, and you can craft it and make different different plates and styles. But it looks like it's going to be this sort of temporary thing. They show a picture of a character like pushing a like a fusion pack in, and then it opens up, and they have a very finite amount of time of which they can use that power armor. I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to be a world. I don't. I don't think they're constructing this game to be like the end game isn't necessarily power armor, right? Yeah. Like it was always that way with Fallout Three. It was always that way with One and Two, and even Tactics you get your power armor and you never come out of it. That's just how it works. And now it's a, sort of like a car. It's something that you can customize. It's something you can add on to. But I don't think they expect you to spend the whole game in it. Mm-hmm. And that's really going to change the dynamic of the whole game. Because once you have power armor, the game sort of becomes a joke. Really? Like, it's easy. Like, it's too easy. Like, do you... Are you affected by the radiation poisoning that you would be otherwise? No, it protects you from radiation by okay. large. I mean, if you go to a really heavy irradiated area it won't offer complete protection but it's pretty much you're not invulnerable you can be stupid and get killed but honestly any player with a little bit of smarts is going to be just fine mm-hmm. by that point you usually have a decent gun too but it looks like this sort of special use thing you know when you know you're going into the thick of it you pull out your power armor suit but you could lose it too right Flip probably side, you, yeah. anybody can take anything Anybody could take anything from you, and you could lose something like this. But it's a single-player experience. You're just going to load back up and then not lose your armor. (laughs) Well, yeah. So, I mean, single-player experience, if you want to be true to the single-player experience, you can just continue on and try to find another armor. But, yeah, just load your game back. Somebody true to a single-player experience. Yeah. So (laughs) Come on. (laughs) So, speaking of loading your game back, they made a change 
in this game that's different, I believe, from the other games. Like Skyrim 2 also had companions. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this game, there's a dog. It looks like, I think they call it, is it dog meat? Dog meat. Dog meat. Yeah. So they they have this character that looks like a new dog. And I love dogs in games, <laughs> right? I love dogs in period. So I was obviously drawn to the trailer by watching the dog. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I like it. And then you can do some cool stuff with it. And my fear is anytime that you see a dog or a companion like that, they're going to die, right? Mm-hmm. But what's what's you've explained to me with Fallout in the past is that any of your companions, dogs, whatever, could die. You could lose mm-hmm. them, uh, but then you just go back and reload your uh, yep. save to get them back because it could be a couple hours before you realize that the dog is gone. Yeah, sometimes you're not actually watching and you get absorbed in the game, and next thing you know, where'd dog meat go? Mm-hmm. Oh, he died three hours ago. Yeah. And so you're going back and reloading and redoing, replaying mm-hmm. those games, that content... Now, they've made, at least, for sure, the, the dog character, um, he's invulnerable, right? Well, he won't die. Yeah, so they did go through and they, they did say that they'd fall unconscious. Okay. So if they take damage, they don't, I mean, you just can't, like, shoot them and expect them to stay up, but they'll just fall unconscious and either you have to revive them with a stim pack or they'll wake up after the battle. Right, but you'll get them back. You don't have to yeah. go and reload that save for three hours yeah. uh, of work. So, and I don't know... It, do you know if they've made this for all the companions or just the dog? I believe I read that it's going to be all companions act. Okay. Operate that way. So this is obviously a change from the previous iterations mm-hmm. of the game. As a Fallout fan, how do you feel about that? It's just going to prevent me from loading up a save game. It'll save you a few yeah. hours here and there. Because a lot of these companions have side quests. Mm-hmm. And if you get in the thick of it and something, if, if you throw a grenade and then they get stupid and run in on the grenade, okay, well, it's time to load back up because, you know, <laughs> the, the AI got stupid. Uh-huh. So... They're just preventing the inevitable, I think. It's going to be a lot less, you know, loads from previous save. Mm-hmm. I think it's been good. It's good. So at least that was a positive change in the experience. So you look at the trailer, they show that, and they said that your character, you start out before the end. What, they, what did they call the, um, the, is it a war that happened that caused the... the yeah, the global thermonuclear war. Yeah, yeah so between you start... China and the United States. Okay, so you start before that war, mm-hmm. and you you know you see you have you know a male or female protagonist character, mm-hmm. and this is the first time you could play as a male or female, correct? No, you could play as female in the other games too. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. so you could play as both of those. Um, they showed the character creation screen, mm-hmm. and then they generate a baby based on you know yep. your your characters. So I thought that was pretty cool, and then you go into the vault, mm-hmm. and then you emerge from the vault. Years after, mm-hmm. you know, the, the thing fell down. So, is this going to be the first time that we see life before the vaults? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we've always gotten glimpses and, like, hollow tapes and stuff in previous games of what life was like. Fallout 2 actually goes into what started the whole, well, sort of what started the whole war. You can find a, funnily enough, you can find a computer called Skynet that recounts <laughs> recounts the events that led up to the, the whole thermonuclear exchange between Japan, or not Japan, but China and the United States. Okay. Um, but playing in, uh, with the exception of one scene in Fallout 3 that's sort of a holographic reimagination of what times before the war will look like, mm-hmm. this is the first time. Yeah. But I think it's going to be pretty brief. Okay. And four. So I think it'll be cool to see that life because, you know, people are always, from my perspective, and when I say people, I look at Fallout from not knowing any background of Fallout. I'm like, well, why is this all kind of retro y? kind of into the world, futuristic, but, like, from the 1950s. Mm-hmm. I think this will do 
it'll be a good introduction to the series. You could call this just Fallout if you wanted to, mm-hmm. and be able to have a fresh experience and not necessarily need to know any of the background information from the other previous games. Yeah, I'm sure that, like, you know, there'll be some hints to what the Brotherhood of Steel's doing in the area, which is probably, they're probably there for MIT. I think we, we know that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Project Clean Water will probably, that's the, the end goal of Fallout 3. That'll probably make a nod somewhere, because that was, this takes place 10 years after that. Yeah. But it's interesting because the protagonist, in this case, is going to be someone who survived the war. And that was only the case with the original Vault Dweller. In Fallout 1, everybody else always came after. They were either born into the world or they were, you know... Born in a vault. Born in a vault. Um, I can't remember if the original Fallout 1, I'm not sure if they were super clear on whether you were born in the vault or if you were a survivor of a war. But um, it's somewhere in that nebulous area. I think you might have been an original. Okay, well that's cool. So, you know, when I we've talked about Fallout and I just kind of didn't latch onto it. But, you know... I. This game looks really, really cool, mm-hmm. and I'm going to check it out, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and they announced that it's going to be coming out November 10th, I think? 18th, I thought. 18th. I could be wrong. Okay. Sometime in that time frame, yeah. between the 10th and 18th, uh, it'll be coming out in November, which is everybody kind of expected as well that it would be coming out this year, because I guess they're really delayed in making their announcements, is that when they make their announcement they seem to release the same year. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see that they're going to be able to pull this game, this massive game that they really have been really quiet on because that's the way they like to work, mm-hmm. and been able to just see how it all comes together and goes out. So I will be buying it. I'm actually going to be buying the <laughs> collector's, edition. collector's yeah. edition. Not necessarily because... I'm a huge fan of the of the the Pip Boy or anything that it comes with, but I want to make sure I have all the content. I want a full experience when the game comes out. I know there's going to be downloadable content that I'll have to buy, mm-hmm. right? But I think it's going to be really cool uh, to experience Fallout. I mean, we'll be able to talk about our mm-hmm. experiences in the game because much like Witcher, it's going to be branching decisions, right? Mm-hmm. You could have one experience, I could have another. We can go different ways. And is it going to be like Witcher in the fact that it's not? white and black, it's gray, like your decisions. There's not a clear light side or dark side choice I can I, go I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't expect quite as gray of an area as The Witcher. Like, that sort of has that Game of Thrones-esque, you know, you're always picking the lesser of two evils, you think. Mm-hmm. But Fallout will usually run more along the lines of just sort of your Paragon Renegade um, with some gray decisions. It tends to be, like, really good guy, really evil guy, really greedy guy, and apathetic. It's sort mm-hmm. of, like, where the, the moral bounds of those games tend to lay. So yeah. I wouldn't expect a super deep moral experience like The Witcher, but um, you'll get a lot more humor, that's yeah. for sure. Fallout's all about the humor. Yeah. And I think that, you know, this year is a good year for Fallout to come out, too, because uh, Mad Max uh, was released mm-hmm. on the, you know, in the theaters, and it's kind of that same kind of vibe after some sort of nuclear war. These are the dwellers afterwards. Mutations and stuff have happened. There is going to be a Mad Max game coming out around the same time, but I think people would actually rather play this Fallout, than that game. Yeah. yeah. So, and then Bethesda announced another thing that came out that night uh, that was called Fallout Shelter. Mm-hmm. That was unexpected completely. Yeah, uh, nobody, out of blue. Yeah, nobody was expecting them to make an app. Uh, you had some experience with the Fallout yeah, Shelter I didn't app. Didn't really like it. Yeah. Didn't really like it. And this is coming from a Fallout number yeah. two uh, all-time series. 
And the app, you have to you have to tell what what happened. Uh, did you read today that it's made more money than Candy Crush Saga? No, I yeah. did not. So it's number one on the App Store. It's made more money than Candy Crush Saga in microtransactions. And it doesn't require you to. It doesn't do require it. microtransactions, but I'll tell you, if you get in a spot, it's impossible. You might as well just start over. Yeah. Um, that's where I came in. I really don't like getting fleeced. Like I would rather just. I would almost. I would pay twenty bucks for this game to just have the ability to play it mm-hmm. and have it be a balanced, competitive game than to be fleeced for $20 worth of, you know, lunch boxes is what mm-hmm. their special thing is. And then opening the specials and the cards out of lunch boxes. It's a neat mechanic, and when you first start a vault, you get lunch boxes galore as you complete little, like, mini quests within the game. Mm-hmm. But I left it for one night, woke up the next morning, seven hours later, and half my people were radi- radiated half to death. They were upset. They wouldn't work. They couldn't rush their little stations to produce more food and water, et cetera, because they were so irradiated and unhappy, and the whole thing just fell into chaos. I'm like, okay, if I can't leave this game for seven hours... and See, if I had those lunch boxes, if I paid them $20 for 40 lunch boxes, I would have gotten caps, I would have gotten a whole bunch of special stuff I needed to just fix the whole situation. And I, you know, when I when I can't step away for seven hours in one of these types of games, it's not even worth it. Yeah, but that, worth I'm the time. minority, probably. So yeah, I just I mean, don't want to put money in it. I'm the same way. It's like if I can play a game and have a good experience, fine. I don't want to have fifty thousand microtransactions that make me keep, you know, paying money to the mm-hmm. game. I'd rather pay fifteen, twenty bucks for an app, which is expensive for an app. Exactly. To get, yeah. to get that uh, experience like you. Um, so those were the big announcements from Bethesda. Now, Alex, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you doing? <laughs> good. Uh, do you have any comments or anything to add from the Bethesda conference or Fallout? Uh, Fallout was is the number one hyped game at E3. Just so you know, I don't know if that's surprising to anyone. That was a little surprising to me. Um, but I mean, it is the biggest game because it's coming out this year. It was announced mm-hmm. technically this year. Is Halo coming out this year? Yep. It is. I'm and surprised that there so wasn't was more hype about... Star yeah. Wars Battlefront as well. Star Wars Battlefront looks cool, but I'm really surprised Like Halo took a real backseat compared to everything this year. Yeah. Did people they, just not like... I mean, I'm not a console guy. Did people just not think 4 was that great? Is 5... So there was, a, there was honestly yes. a fractured base. <laughs> There's a fracture right here between me and Alex. <laughs> I loved Halo 4. The storyline I thought was great. Excellent. Um, the multiplayer was okay. Yeah. Um, whereas Halo 3 multiplayer was tremendous. It was, mm-hmm. it was the pinnacle of multiplayer in the series. Um, but you know some people uh, think that three four three, which is the country or mm-hmm. the company that's been taking care of it since Bungie, you know, left the franchise, has not been handling it well, and don't have a lot of faith, especially with the Master Chief Collection releasing to the myriad of yep. bugs and issues that yeah, it had. I've heard a lot of bad things. Yeah. So a lot when of you detractors. Yeah, you don't. It's hard. A company like Bethesda comes out. Every release they have, every game, it's critical success. Yeah. It, fans love it, critics love it, everything. So obviously, they have the best track record of any developer coming out this year. Mm-hmm. DICE is doing Battlefront. Their last time's out not so hot, yeah. right, with the Battlefield free, 3. Three, <laughs> should be. 3, 4, and Hardline. I mean, they're all... Have, I think 3 is probably the most successful of the group. Yeah. So, I mean, when you look at, you look at the developers, that's probably the reason for the hype. It's because everybody wants to see Bethesda's game. They want to see it succeed. They want to play it. They want to spend time in it. It's much like you know developers when The Witcher 
last year was featured. It was one of the biggest games at E3. Mm -hmm. CD Projekt Red is the developer for that. And because the game came out and it's been successful, super successful, they're going to have this very similar uh, case with which, with uh, Fallout 4 when it comes out. So it doesn't make any... It doesn't surprise me, honestly, that it's the most hyped game. Uh, reputation. Yeah, the reputation, the pedigree yep. of, yeah, of the developer. That's a good way of putting it. So... Um, but anything else that you got from that, Alex? Just from the Fallout 4 discussion? Bethesda. Bethesda in general has always been good to me, and it's like like we talked about, it's about the reputation. So, And I think Halo's had a lot of detractors, but you know, just in other games in general that releases, like you know, Call of Duty that releases games you know, every Annually. year or so, mm-hmm. yeah, and the, the hype is, it's not as... Let's I'd just, rather yeah, take yeah. the assets that were in the last game, pretty them up a bit, add a mm-hmm. few things, and hey, you got your new game. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't get experience. excited. And I mean, it, it speaks in numbers. I mean, Halo, Halo's still a big name, dropped to number five, right? Wow. Black Ops 3, that should be pretty big, right? That's 19. Nobody cares. Um, I haven't played Call of Duty Whoa. for a long time. Nobody cares. <laughs> Calm it down. I don't care about Call of Duty. I The last Call of Duty I played was probably Modern Warfare one, maybe two, I can't remember. Probably two. Two was a big deal. Was it two? Okay, maybe two, but other than that, I didn't play. And I didn't play them annually either. The one that was in between Modern Warfare 1 and 2, I didn't play whatever. I think it was World at War, maybe? Or maybe yep. it was the yep. first Black Ops. World at War. Okay. Yep. But I haven't played any of these Black Ops games. I didn't play Advanced Warfare, which looked really cool because I love Titanfall, and basically is Titanfall. Yeah. So, yeah. And Black Ops 2 just looks like Deus Ex. That's really all it is really? anymore. Yeah. And I would rather play Deus Ex, which comes out spring which comes next out year. next year, yeah. So everybody that you talk to that plays Call of Duty, at least everybody that I talk to, always says the same thing. They're, they they played it once upon a time, they reach a certain point, and then they stop playing it. It's And and it's because they release it annually, because it's just recycled garbage mm-hmm. over and over again. And Halo's cutting it, and I'm a big Halo fan, huge Halo fan, always have been. Halo's cutting it real close. This, and, Halo 5, will make or break the franchise. It will either live on after this because it's a great game, or the franchise will die. If it doesn't work, yeah. so yeah, they need to step up their game. Yeah, I mean it's it's a serious deal if if you have a game that's multiplayer heavy as Halo is, and your servers can't work <laughs> to to match people up to play the game, which the is game what, that revolutionized player versus yeah, player, yeah, that created matchmaking. <laughs> I mean it's if you release a game and it doesn't hype up your fan base and they are playing it a lot because I think you look at the online playing records and. Like, Halo 4 fell off quick, and then, like, Call of Duty was obviously at the top, and things like that, and Titanfall was up there for maybe a day, and then that was down, but it's just one of those things where I it's I don't cool care about, out, the, yeah. But they don't have good longevity. Yeah, the, the one thing that I like about Halo, for instance, as opposed to Call of Duty, right, mm-hmm. is that it's not an annualized franchise. There is a cohesive story, because I'm a story guy. We don't. <laughs> There's a cohesive story between those those games, and much like Fallout or GTA or something like that, it's a spectacle when it comes out. It's a big deal because the last Master Chief story was Halo Three, which was, I mean, when when did that come out? I forget. Halo Three was that 2007? That, that sounds about right. So I mean, it's been a long time for a proper sequel to Halo. Oh wait, no. <laughs> Halo 4. <laughs> that, well, that one came out. But you see, you don't yeah. even count it. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, Halo 3 was the last big Halo. And the last so, good Halo. Yeah. Well, according to some people, I have a Halo 4 Xbox. <laughs> oh, but, 
it's 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 interesting to see that. What's the number one or number two hype game then? If Fallout Four is uh, the number one, did you take note I, I, of that? I didn't write the number two game down. I wrote the big titles down that I, I assumed that we would be talking about, and I put what number they were in terms of hype. Okay. So. So. Keep that list in mind as we go through this. So sure. we've, we've covered the Bethesda conference. Okay. Um, but before we move on, have you been entertained by anything interesting recently? I um, I went and I rented Elder Scrolls Online. How was that? I have some bad news. <laughs> <laughs> they have had some serious trouble with their servers. At least my experience with it has been awful. The very first day that I got on, the servers were down, so I couldn't... Log in or do anything, right? And that wasn't the launch day either. No, no. It's it, to be expected on a launch day to have problems. It's been well over a week and a half since it re- has released for the consoles. Okay. Right? So the second day I got on, servers were fine, but it they broke their, their login page where you couldn't actually type in any information to log in. So again, I could not log in. Now, I assume previous players that have logged in didn't have that issue because it has a single sign-on function with the linking of your gamer tag. Mm-hmm. But again, new players couldn't couldn't connect, right? Third day I got on, I was able to type it in, I was able to connect, I got in the world, and I couldn't talk to the very first NPC that I needed to because she was invisible. <laughs> nice. It's just things like that. It's just, as a gamer, it's very disheartening because I understand that MMOs are hard to make, right? Mm-hmm. Destiny had bugs, right? Halo Master Chief Collection, player versus player. That has a lot of bugs. But these companies have to start releasing games that are not shells, that are not in beta state. This is beta. This is beta. And it's been on PC for a long time, though. Yeah, there's like a, a reason it's free to play on PC. Yeah. It's been over a year. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I like the Elder Scrolls franchise. I thought I'd like the, the MMO aspect of it. But, I mean, I haven't had a chance to enjoy the game to to say anything, so... You know, talking about Bethesda Conference, they spent literally a second on Elder Scrolls Online. Well, because it's not actually made... It's a it's a company under Bethesda. Yeah. Bethesda's the pr- producer, okay. I yeah. believe. Like, they're not the actual developer. Yeah, like they, Steven Spielberg produced yeah. Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> but he had no part of it, yeah. <laughs> but it sucked. Yeah. I mean, they try. I think they get an A for effort. I remember watching that game really closely on the on the PC development side of things, and when they took it to Xbox, I was just like, ooh, here we go. Mm, yeah. Because there's not a lot of MMOs on the Xbox side, so... I mean, there aren't, but... It's a weird... There's no real reason for it not to work, though. It should be fine. Yeah, it wasn't popular on PC, though, either. Yeah, so true. It was free to play in a very short amount of time. Yeah. So as much as I'm a, a, a player versus player and MMO-type you know, gamer, after playing Elder Scrolls and other games like this, I mean, it's got to be really difficult to make this, right? Mm-hmm. Some games just need to remain single-player, need to focus on the story, like The Witcher. Have you out. played more of The Witcher since we last talked? A little bit, yeah. Okay. It's you still good. probably haven't... Yeah, okay. It's not I spent 76 hours in it. He beat the game in 66, and I'm not even halfway through. Wow. <laughs> so, anything else? Even in uh, check, checking out recently? Yeah, just E3 stuff. We'll probably get to it. Yeah, so the next conference was Microsoft. And for me, um, because, you know, Xbox and everything, mm-hmm. I, pay, I paid close attention to this one and the Sony one. Um, but in this one, the biggest things for me were the backwards compatibility mm-hmm. that they announced. It made me happier than I thought it would, honestly. I went home, I loaded up Mass Effect, and I loaded up all the other games that I had ready to play. And it was just nice to be able to play those games again. 
Like, I have my 360 in my other room, but I never play it because it's not my Xbox One. I want to play the new stuff on the new console. Or I'll play the old stuff on the new console. I don't care. But I want to be on my new... I like the controller a lot better. Yes. That's the biggest difference yep. is that controller. I agree. Speaking of the controller, they announced a new controller. So we knew that there was going to be another one that was coming out with a little bit of redesigns in the, the headset port. What didn't we know, though? We didn't know about this Elite controller that's coming out that has so many interchangeable parts and comes in a nice little case and has, like, steel in it and weighs, like, seven pounds, but also costs 150 bucks. Holy yeah. cow. I didn't hear that. Yeah. $150. However, from a perspective of a PC gamer, mm-hmm. how much would you pay for a good keyboard? Amazon sort of cheats me on that, right? <laughs> 80 bucks is the most I'd spend on a keyboard. How much would you spend for a compatible or a comparable mouse to go with that good keyboard? Probably 30, 40 bucks. So, I mean, close we're, to 150 bucks. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's when you look at it from those, that perspective, it's not that out of whack for something like this for a console. Really. But we've had this discussion like 100 bucks is really where I think you get a lot of buy in for this controller for the console people. Um, you look at. The components and stuff that's in it, and I don't know if you've seen this uh, this video that I shared out with you, but you can change out the sticks. Yep. You can change out. You can. There's four new buttons on the back, which actually have a lot of good implications because during the video it made a lot of sense. It's like when you're playing a shooter, you don't want to take your hand off the button to melee, which you can click down, or you don't want to take your hand off the, your stick to do something else. You can use those little pads on the bottom, which make a lot of sense now. So, 150 bucks. Yeah, sticker shock, steep. Wait for a uh, Black Friday sale. <laughs> Maybe see if it goes on <laughs> sale. Sure. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that by the time Battlefront or Halo comes out, by the end of the year, I'll probably have one of these. Because I... It's probably worth it. Yeah, re- yeah. regardless. I, and I like the heft. I like a heavy controller. Mm-hmm. I know we talked about this. Is that I like things that feel solid mm-hmm. in my hand. Um, and that's part of the reason why I like controllers a little bit better than the keyboard. Because I don't feel like I have anything in my hand. Which I understand, like, it's a whole uh, mindset of, you know, being able to use a controller and a, a, a keyboard and mouse really better than a controller mm-hmm. most times, but it's just what I what I prefer and what I have. So, this con- this Elite controller, though, I think both you and I, who are, are Xbox players, Alex, really do think it's a cool idea and think it's great, but just not, just, it's not as great as the price is. I would See, agree. I come from the old school, like where consoles, like when you bought a console, you bought four controllers with it mm-hmm. because you were inviting friends over. It's not really the case anymore because you play online with Xbox. But mm-hmm. I can't help but think that this new Elite controller makes the now current normal Xbox controller like the Mad Cats version. You, know, <laughs> you bring a friend over, they get the Mad Cats controller. Yeah, exactly. You know, you get the Wave Bird, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, this is kind of funny. After this announcement, uh, I saw like all over Twitter, like, somebody find the, the president of Mad Cats, check yeah. out, make sure he's okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, because nobody's going to want to buy those aftermarket controllers when, mm-hmm. when Microsoft has this controller that, it's like, so Razer makes really good components for the PCs mm-hmm. and peripherals like yeah. that. It's kind of like Razer making this mm-hmm. uh, controller, but and I've always I've always been a fan of more like buying the name brand stuff in the aftermarket yeah. anyway. So th- that was my two big things. That and obviously Halo. They featured uh, Call of Duty, not Call of Duty, Fallout Four mm-hmm. um, in yeah, the conference briefly. too. Yeah, Todd Howard was there. Yeah, he was there, and they talked about how it's going to have the mods uh, that are available for the Xbox One now, which is going to be very interesting. Because so many of those mods are graphic fidelity. 
I mean, think about it. If I can take Fallout 4 and I'm running it high resolution, 30 frames, 60 frames a second, and somebody posts a mod that increases the textures, well, my video card on my PC is pushing those textures because the video card's handling it. Well, you have a lot more finite ability of the video card of an Xbox One. Love it or hate it, folks. If you play a console, you're, you're very limited in terms of... You can't upgrade that video card. What if I get the Elite Xbox One that has the new... <laughs> the, the one terabyte hard drive instead? The one that costs them $20 more to put in the Xbox? But, I mean, are they just going to block that? Because, I mean, Xbox is all about keeping that consistency, right? Like, you buy this game, you know it's going to run because we've tested it. The developers have tested it. Mm-hmm. Not always the case, but it should be. Like, you, you know you're going to get between 25 and 30 frames a second because we've dialed it in there, right? Right. But the PC's all about saying, who cares what dialed it in? You can, you know, make this photorealistic if you want, if you have the system to handle it. And, but if you, if you plug that in there and the Xbox will download that, it's going to bring your systems, like, they're just going to be melted plastic on top of your TV. <laughs> like, I don't understand how that's going to work. So maybe they'll have categories and they'll just block certain so, ones? Maybe they'll only There's probably going to be a certification process. There has to be, right? Yeah, it's interesting. So... And uh, just so you know, consoles typically aren't on top of my TV. Well, I'm thinking, but again, I, I said I come from the old school. I'm thinking console TV, right? The last thing I owned was a GameCube, and that was, gosh, that was a while ago. And that could have been on top of your TV. Exactly. Back then, that was like a CRT. Yeah. Yeah. Kids, I don't know if you knew this, but TVs didn't used to be on the walls all the time. <laughs> but uh, it, was, uh, it was interesting to see them make this announcement. It was kind of, it's really, Xbox One, when you look at the interface, it's really going to be a Windows 10 PC it is, by this yeah. time next year. It is, yeah. So it's going to be a Steam box. Pretty much. <laughs> as you like to say. Yeah. So we just need to figure out how to install Steam and get all these cheap games in there uh, and go from that. You probably could if you really tried. Yeah, I'm sure. So anything jump out at you, Alex, from the Microsoft conference? Backwards compatibility, I love, though. I do love it. I was going to ask you about that. So you... you you put the disc in, right? You install it. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to know about the process, right? Mm-hmm. Do you need the disc after you install it? Yes. It's like the you Xbox. Do. So same thing. Or current games, yeah. Okay. And what's the size of the... Because they're on 360 platform, right? The mm-hmm. size of the installs are not going to be as large as Xbox One. No. They're uh, considerably Because smaller. they're on DVDs. Right. You know, they were like, they're under 8 gigabytes. Right. Uh, Mass Effect, I think, was like 7 point something. It was, so it was close. Right. And... Right now with Xbox One, they're on Blu-rays, and so they're up to 40 gig on a lot of some of the games. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, they're, they're quick and easy installs. Okay. And how do they function within the operating system of the Xbox One? So basically, here's how it works, is that when you launch one of those games, it launches like a virtual machine emulation of the Xbox 360. Gotcha. And then it comes up there, and it, within that game, then you can press the, the, uh, the two buttons to the right and left of the jewel to bring up your home button from the original Xbox days okay. and then still function everything there. So in other words, Microsoft installed Hyper-V on the Xbox One. Exactly. <laughs> that's the, pretty much well, all they that's made already in the how, background. Yeah, that's yeah. already how Xbox One works with a lot of the applications and the, this uh, Snap functionality mm-hmm. is they a lot of those apps run on a virtual. Mm-hmm. I think there's like two or three layers of virtuals that usually run on the Xbox One at any, any given time. So that's just another layer. Yep. So then my question to Microsoft is... This is a. I read an interesting article about somebody that was complaining about the backwards compatibility, right? And as a gamer, how would you complain about? Okay, that's what I thought when I read it, right? But he makes a pretty good point. He said, at this point in time, it doesn't make sense to release backwards compatibility. If you're going to release it, release it when the console comes out or within the first couple months. Don't release it now when you're supposed to be looking towards the future of the console. Don't take a you know a step back. 
and bring back backwards compatibility because it, it it's kind of ill-timed. I wouldn't I don't think so. No. Microsoft when they first launched the Xbox One honestly they took the mentality of we're going to give you this and you're going to like it. Mm-hmm. Within the past 18 months or however long it's been since it launched They've listened to their customers. Their customers request backwards compatibility. I still have a lot of Xbox 360 games. You still um, own a 360 console? I, I do, but I never play it because I don't want to use that controller. So did you keep the 360 for that purpose? To go back and play these old games, yeah. Like The Force Unleashed. I love that game. Yeah. I got my 360 still to play that. Uh, I still have you know Halo Reach, which isn't yet on mm-hmm. the Xbox One. I still have Civilization Revolution, which is a fun game to play on the... Red Dead Redemption. There's a lot of great games on the 360 that you can't play on the Xbox One. Right. Red Dead's apparently number one on the requested list. Right Red now. Dead is an amazing yeah. game. Yeah. I, I mean, wish they had it for PC, admittedly. Yeah. It's one of those that I almost bought a console for, but didn't play it. I mean, you look at a game like Red Dead. It was only on console. And now, they're not going to remaster that. Rockstar, I think they've come out and said that they're not going to release it or anything well, like that. It was the most expensive game to make that they ever At the did. time. And then I think it was more expensive than GTA Five. From what really? I was reading, I, yeah. I heard GTA Five was like two hundred fifty million to I make. Red Dead wow. was high. I yeah. could be wrong. I just thought I read that somewhere. But Red Dead was an, was an amazing game, and to have that disc still, but not have a console really that I want to play it on because of the controller. Have you gone back and used the old controller? Yes. It's awful. Exactly. It's awful. It feels cheap. Yeah. So as a customer, yeah, I still have my three sixty. I would rather put that 360 in a box and put it in a closet and still be able to access my games whenever I want to play them on my Xbox One. Mm-hmm. They listen to their customers. They have this, com- this console is completely different than what it was when they launched. The interface has changed. They're allowing you to use the discs and everything now. You can. There's none of this stuff that was their original philosophy. Always on kind of isn't, I well, think. Well, that you weren't ever going to be able to share your discs. Exactly. With, yeah, it's... So, you know, people have been wanting to play their old games, and they've listened to these these requests, and I don't think it's backwards thinking because that shows that you care about your customer base. I agree. I'm not saying I agreed with what he wrote. I'm saying he made an interesting point. Why wasn't this brought out on the release of the console? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, Phil Spencer, his quote was, we didn't know if we could do it. If you put enough time or you know, put the right people on a project, they'll figure out a way to get something done. So they wanted to get the console out the door. They wanted to mm-hmm. ship the console. They didn't want to hold it back. Yep. This does nothing to detract from the console. It just adds value to it. I agree. Because there are a lot of people, and myself included, I prolonged my purchase of the Xbox One because it wasn't backwards compatible. Mm-hmm. If it was backwards compatible... My 360 would have been traded in the day that Xbox One came out. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the case, too. And I think I read the same article. Is the Forbes article? Yeah, the Forbes article, that, yeah. That article was written horribly slanted oh. on one side. I mean, oh, you can yeah, tell it. absolutely. It was vicious. But then there was a rebuttal article that another one of his associates from mm-hmm. Forbes also listed. Yep. And one of his things were he called Microsoft idiotic for doing this. Mm-hmm. In no customer service world... Would that have been an idiotic thing to do? No, absolutely not. So I think it's one of those things where if you if you look at the company and what they've done, it makes sense to listen to the customer and provide this. Small feature, big rewards. I agree. I'm a happy gamer. Yeah. Right? 
I do have to add as a PC gamer, all my games are backward compatible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, the ultimate PC, or the ultimate gaming machine, because it plays no matter what you want. What if they weren't, though, game. Jared? What if, what, what if you change when you change a video card? What if when you change the video card, it wouldn't do it? Right? Now the operating system does get into it, yeah. So you might have to tweak something to make it work, but it'll work, or yeah. you have to emulate it. Right. Yeah. So I know we're running a little low on time now, but anything else that you uh, liked from the Microsoft conference? Gears of War. Really? Yes, I was a big Gears of War fan when it first came out. It came out on PC, the yep. first one. Mm -hmm. Great game. Yeah, awesome game. Very good. I'm excited that they're. Remastering all of them, I just, believe. Just the first one. Just the first one. Mm -hmm. mm, now I'm less excited. The Ultimate Edition Gears of War gonna be releasing for forty bucks in August. So. Am I the only one that got a code for that? Did you get a code? For I that? didn't. I didn't get. A, I was. I he got, showed me, and I was I like, I looked at my messages. Three messages with different codes. So maybe I think I'll be have, able to share them. With I think you. you have to use one to install and one to allow you access to get in. So I, I heard two people had to get two codes, so... Okay. Well, whatever I don't use, I'll share with you. <laughs> but yeah, I was excited about Gears of War, because again, it's... I mean, I'm sure Gears of War is going to be on the top of their list as far as making their backwards compatible. It's a Microsoft-owned company. It's going to be one of the first ones on there, but um, I'm really excited to see it in updated graphics. Yeah. So that's be good. what I was excited about. And Doom, right? That was Bethesda, and I'm not really excited about that. <laughs> Doom is... <laughs> Jump the shark. Yeah. Doom jumped shark with the first Doom. So, <laughs> um, so moving on into Sony, because that was the next one. Um, the the three things that really stood out to me. Number one was the Final Fantasy VII remake. Mm -hmm. Amazing, uh, awesome, totally unexpected, uh, and I can't believe that we're finally ten years after we're gonna get it. You know, it's one of those things where I. Yep. I did not expect it to happen. So the hype is real. I know, right? Uh, so the Final Fantasy VII remake, obviously mind blowing. Um, the Call of Duty partnership, not really that awesome to me. It's that I don't reputation care. coming in again. Yeah, but I mean, even when it was a partnership with Xbox, I didn't care because I didn't play Call of Duty. Uh, yeah. I still don't care. That this does nothing for me. It does a lot for a lot of people because they sell millions of copies. Uh, of Call of Duty, but um, to me didn't really do much, but it was notable. And then the last thing that I want to touch on. Sure. And this is just my reaction from the conference, from what happened during the conference, is that uh, Shenmue 3 was announced on the Sony stage, and there have been articles that say that Sony is going to bankroll the game. They're going to, they're partnering with them for it. So, they announced a Kickstarter with a $2 million goal, crushed the goal within 24 hours, right? Yeah. Kickstarter, in this case, is being misused. It's being used as a marketing tool that will pay back part of this marketing cost yep. and development cost for the game. But if you have a partner in Sony that's bringing you up on their stage, they're going to be obviously a flagship title for, for a Sony. They're using this to their advantage. Yeah, it's a smart marketing move for this developer to get their game made, but if Sony is going to be a publisher, if they end up being a publisher of this game, this Kickstarter is really rubbing me the wrong way. Because they said they were going to gauge community interest by this Kickstarter campaign. Send out a survey. Hey, yeah. <laughs> yes or no, would you like Shenmue 3? Uh, and if we get a 2 million yeses, we'll make it. Yep. And it just, I don't like 
how how they're treating the Kickstarter in this because Kickstarter is meant for someone who otherwise couldn't get funding to make a dream right. come true. Yep, exactly. They've already got partnerships with Sony in this case, um, and you know, I just gross misuse of the platform. And I don't know if you ever listened to any of the podcast or anything from uh, kind of funny uh, Colin Moriarty. He used to be uh, on IGN. Okay. Uh, and he was on podcast beyond there, but he for years since Kickstarter came out with, with games, you know, being able to be funded through it. He doesn't like the practice. Yeah. I was I was fine with it until now. Because companies like this are going out and these multi million dollar companies that could fund this game their own, they don't they're they're wanting money from you before they even make the game. These multi million dollar companies mm-hmm. that can write off loss left and right because they are a corporation. That's how, what they're designed to do. I don't... It rubs me the wrong way. It rubs you the wrong way. I mean, you can understand from a business perspective, though, as to why just because you can write off a loss that big doesn't mean that it's a good practice, too. Mm-hmm. Right? But, and I mean, from our perspective, yes, it looks... Send out a poll. Yeah. I just... I think that it's, it's a shady practice um, that I don't want it to be... And I'll be perfectly clear. If Microsoft did this, Bethesda, anybody did this, I would be the same reaction. I would have the same reaction because I don't think that it's one of those, oh, well, this is this is okay, we should do this. Some of the comments are, who cares? It's a corporation, they're going to make money anyway. They don't understand, like, Kickstarter is supposed to be used for these independent projects. This is not an independent project. It's got the backing of one of the big three. So, I don't know. Not, do you not, think other not people me. feel the way that you do? Have you heard anything? Well, there are people that have... There's there's both sides. People that feel the same way. People that don't care, really. So, but... And just the more I think about it, the more I just hate the practice that they're dealing with it. Yeah. So, any company were to do this, if Microsoft were to say, we're going to make, you know, Halo 6 if you... You know, give us $2 million first through Kickstarter. I would never play Halo 6. Yeah. I, I will never play Shenmue 3. So, anyway, uh, Sony, <laughs> what about you? Oh, man. Um, Sony, I've never been a huge fan of. Uh, I think they're out to get more money. I mean, obviously, Microsoft is out to get more money, too. It just Sony rubs me the wrong way. Always has. I've always preferred... Microsoft, just because obviously, right? Microsoft integration with PCs. We all use PCs. Um, I don't really have much to say on Sony. I don't have much experience with uh, PlayStations or anything like that. I'm. That's how content I am with just using my Xbox. And I'll be I'll be clear too. Is this conference? I was looking forward to it because by the end of the year, I will have a PlayStation Four. Mm-hmm. Um, there is you know the Uncharted collections coming out. I right. want to play through all those. Uncharted are great for the games. exclusives that you're yeah. into, right? Um, so I will own a PlayStation 4 by the end of the year, regardless of the conference. I was looking for this conference to get me hyped to buy one, yeah. and I, d- I didn't get the hype to buy one by the end of the year, even though I already will. So I just I didn't feel like it was... Um, for someone who is planning on buying the console, I didn't get a reason to buy it from this conference. Yeah. And Final Fantasy VII isn't even going to be exclusive to PlayStation 4. It's going to be on multiple platforms, so... Something that you would think would be an exclusive. But yep. 
I hear you. So let's move on to Nintendo then. <laughs> so the I have a Nintendo Wii U. I've I've been a Nintendo guy for a long time. I think I do too. <laughs> I've been a Nintendo guy for a long time. I've enjoyed you know, I like Mario. Love Smash Brothers, like Mario Kart. Yep. That's it though, right? Like Star Fox. I do like Star Fox. And they announced didn't announce, but they, they showed more of the new Star Fox. Yep. Which looks a little iffy to me. I, it's in early stages. I really want to see it to be able to, to actually play like a demo. Sure. To see what's coming out. It looks like a uh, Nintendo 64 almost remake. Yep. Like with higher graphics and stuff. Which I, I'm fine with. I, I wouldn't mind that. Better not be $60 if that's what it is, but I wouldn't mind it. So I'm looking forward to the Star Fox, but that's the only thing really that... that I thought was cool from their no conference. Legend of Zelda. There is no Zelda, although there is a Zelda game coming out, presumably mm-hmm. next year. Uh, they they didn't show anything on Zelda. Yeah, very disappointing. And it was interesting because I saw a headline that the president of the company, you know, came out and apologized with the lackluster conference or Nintendo Direct is how they do it. But I'm uh, interested to to see how it continues with Nintendo kind of. They're fizzling out. Yeah, I mean, so I don't, I don't know out. if this is a wind down of the Wii U, and they're saving everything for their next console because maybe they want to release a new console to kind of get back, you know, with compete with Xbox One and PlayStation Four. I think they 4. have to. So, because a lot of people are writing them off, they can't get a lot of the, they can't get Fallout Four, or Call of Duty, uh, on their console because of the power. But I agree. Yeah, so that, that's pretty much uh, my thoughts so far on Nintendo's conference uh, and E3 in general. Yeah, um, not much on that front. I agree. Yeah. So any, all, anything of else? Of all the big three that needed to step up and blow somebody away. Last year's conference for them was really good, though, because after last year's conference, I think, either right before or right after Mario Kart came out, Smash Brothers was on the horizon. Uh, Splatoon was a big deal. Um, the Amiibo were not. Last year's E3 for them was tremendous. This year was just a huge drop-off. I think I'm still waiting for that next-gen step from them. They always seem to be, like, a generation behind. Mm -hmm. They need to take that next step, because I do enjoy the Mario franchise and some of those bigger titles that we talked about that we played when we were kids, right? Mm -hmm. But... Yeah. They still see... I still feel restricted when I play them. Mm -hmm. And when I get on Xbox, I feel like I can do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. So... So, uh, any other thoughts on E3 then, Alex? So far, not so far. As we we record this on Thursday, I think most of the the, the or we're recording this right now on Thursday. I think most of the big announcements have happened. Yeah. Um, there may be some other things that trickle out here and there, but those are the big big uh, things so far that we've wanted to react to. So instead of you know doing a movie or anything like that this week, we just want to stay in the realm of games. Uh, talk about E three. Pretty exciting. Lots of games coming out this, this year. November. Yeah. I mean, you got Batman is next week. I, and then after that, in November, you've got Fallout, you've got uh, Halo, I think it's November, um, and then you've got Star Wars Battlefront, November. It's actually pretty incredible. I mean, you don't get into the situation often because you normally have your set one, two, maybe three games that you know that are coming out in a quarter or mm-hmm. half a year that you know you're going to spend your time on. Now there's so many coming out that I can think of that I want to play I don't know how to allocate my time, so I, I might just have to pick and choose. Mm-hmm. And it's been a really long time since I've had to pick and choose. But it's a great time to be a gamer. No matter what game console you are on, Nintendo, Xbox, 
PlayStation. It's This year, we'll have a lot of gaming options for you by the end of the year for sure. So no matter what console you have, no matter if you like to play PC either, uh, it's it's going to be a great year for you. I agree. You ready to wrap this thing up? Let's wrap it up. So next week, uh, we're going to be discussing a movie again. We're going to be discussing Mission Impossible. We're going to begin that franchise. Uh, we're going to culminate with the release of Rogue Nation uh, in, I think it's in July. I don't remember which day, but in July. So we look forward to that next week. And a listener question. And for you, Alex. What was your favorite part of E3 2015? As a gamer, as an Xbox gamer, the best part of E3 was the one thing that I've wanted from Xbox One since it's released, I wanted backwards compatibility. Now I can move forward with my console, right? I can get rid of all the old games that they're not going to remake, and I will mourn them, right? Maybe keep them, I don't know. Put them on a nice external drive, hook it up to the Xbox One, everything is right there in one spot, I can use the controller I like, maybe I'll get that Elite controller later in the year, you know, if it drops down more like a $100 price point or something, but that was the biggest thing for me. It didn't have anything to do with the games. The games are going to come, right, this this holiday season is going to be ridiculous. Halo 5, Battlefront, uh, Fallout 4, I might even throw in Black Ops 3 play some zombies mm-hmm. if there's going to be zombies i don't even know <laughs> but it's going to be ridiculous and destiny of course oh yeah right? of you, course you can't forget that <laughs> but yeah um the backwards compatibility for me was what did it cool and again like backwards compatibility for me and also the confirmation with the trailer of the final Fantasy 7 remake uh those are both amazing uh experiences yeah we'll call it that so review us on itunes titcher or tune in Uh, if you're listening to us on those platforms. uh, And tweet at us. We love to hear what you think of the show. At EntertainingPod on Twitter. You can email us, that'sentertaining at gmail.com. You know, this is an all-gaming episode. I am on Xbox at Spider Jedi. Also Steam. uh, Also PlayStation. I'm pretty sure anything, I'm I'm either Sith Nightmare or Spider Jedi. So... uh, on Twitter, I am at Spider Jedi. Alex. I am on Xbox Live and probably other places, but you're only going to find me on Xbox Live. And my gamer tag is D O U E 1 H 1. Same with Twitter at D O U E 1 H 1. So, ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for us this week with our E3 video game special episode. Thanks for joining. Thank you for listening. We hope that you have been entertained. <laughs>